Welcome to Between the Stacks, a podcast presented by the Athens Limestone County Public Library. Each episode brings you into the library to meet our collection of people and to introduce programs and ways we're connecting with the Limestone County, Alabama community. I am Jennifer Baxter. I'm the library director here at Athens Limestone County Public Library. I'm lucky enough to be sitting here with author and poet Stephen Bates. And we felt that it was such a great opportunity to have someone who is a published author and poet in the library that we wanted to pick his brain a little bit and get some information from him about Poem Speak. So, Stephen, if you want to talk a bit about who you are and Poem Speak and how you came to be and everything else in between. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, my name is Stephen Bates. I'm an Air Force veteran. Uh, I've served not only in the Air Force, Air Force Reserves, but also as a civilian police officer down in Panama City, Florida. Uh, Poem Speak came about from a set of poems I wrote for Suicide Prevention Month in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, I was tasked by the Veterans Affairs Creative Arts Festival director uh, there at the Cheyenne VA, and I had never written anything about suicide prevention or suicide in my poetry because it was a, a, a topic that was very personal to me. I was a five-time suicide attempt survivor, and I could not write about suicide. It was just too deep and too personal to me. I had written poetry for 30 years prior, ever since I was 15 years old. Uh, i gotten into poetry originally to impress the girls. It never worked. <laughs> Um, they, there, they weren't the right kind of they, girls. They weren't the right kind of girls, or it wasn't the right kind of poetry, one <laughs> of the two. But, and I always had a dream once I got in the service that I was going to write a book with other security police in the Air Force called Reflections of a Beret. And it would, uh, have poems about everything that we experienced as security police. Well, I've, I've never found any security police that would write poetry with me. I guess we're just not the poetic type. <laughs> Flash forward many, many years. I had written poetry throughout the years to deal with the traumas and the incidents and the events that I had experienced, but had never published them, had never put them together into a collection. I just stored them in my little field notebooks and things like that. And in uh, September of 2017, I wrote three poems about suicide and went to a friend of mine who worked at the VA and sent the poems to him and said, are these poems any good? These are going to be publicly spoken. I've never done a presentation or anything like that. Are these poems any good? He read them. He folded them up. He said, can I keep them? Mm. I said, okay, but are they any good? <laughs> he said, they're fine. Can I keep them? But presentation came. I've read my poems. Everything went fine. About two months later, I'm in group therapy for PTSD at the VA, and there's a knock on the door. And it was this friend of mine that worked at the VA. And understand that nobody interrupts group therapy. Mm-hmm. It's never done. You just don't do it because of the problems that could occur, the, the, the vitality that could be going on in there. And so he answered the door, and in walks my friend, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm here to talk about Steve. Not to Steve. He said, I'm here to talk about Steve. And I said, what's going on? And everybody in the room is, is just confused. And he started shaking. And this is a mountain of a man. This this guy was just a, a, a huge, you know, prior service rock kind of guy. And he, he, he just started shaking. He says, I want you all to know that about two months ago, 
Steve gave me some poems. And he said, uh, it was a day in my life I was trying to decide about suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just taken aback. And he says, I went home that night and I had a you know weapon in one hand and poems in the other. He said, I put the weapon down and kept reading the poems. And I was just blown away. And he just started shaking. I, I started crying. He started crying. We, we bear hugged like crazy in the middle of this group therapy. And I mean, we were both bawling. And, you know, the impact of the fact that he wouldn't be there today if it wasn't for a poem right. made such an impact that I went home that night and I said, I told my wife, I said, you know, uh, we're not doing this for money anymore. We're, we're making a nonprofit and we're giving our books to people for nonprofit. It's amazing. And hopefully, what we'll do with those books, uh, when, when you read them, is you'll, you'll find that the poems will let the reader know that, number one, you can survive PTSD, you can survive depression, you can survive suicidal thoughts, you can uh, thrive and not just survive. Mm-hmm. And that uh, there are resources out there available. There's actually a poem that I have about the crisis hotline. There's a poem I have about the text hotline. I don't know if you're aware of that. 741741. Uh, it's actually a text hotline for those that like to text yeah. and, and not call people. There's people that care about you 24-7. And mm-hmm. I, want, I want those three things to be prevalent in the reader's mind. Is that you can survive, that there's resources and that people care about you 24-7. And that's our whole purpose of Poem Speak is to get those three points out with the poetry. I like that. Let's go backwards and um, go back to that catalyst moment. Mm -hmm. I don't want to speak for you, but as a listener, it sounds like that might have been the moment where things clicked and you realized what impact you could actually have for some people who had gone are going through the Mm -hmm. same things you are. Um, This morning, actually, I told you before we started, I'm a big podcaster. I was listening to a guy who was talking about Alain de Belton. He wrote The School of Life, and Mm -hmm. it's basically emotional intelligence, emotional support. And just this morning, I was listening to him. He said, you know, raise your hand. He had a room full of people. Raise your hand if you think you're weird. And literally everyone in the entire room raised their hand. And he said, now, statistically speaking, this is impossible. Every one of you, you think you're weird, you think you're alone, because on social media, on the way that the world presents itself, we don't say, hi, how are you? How are you doing? I'm going to kill myself today. It's literally what he said this morning, and I thought, that's exactly true, you know? So it sounds like you had this catalyst moment where you were able to touch someone who, unbeknownst to you, was going through that exact same thing at that exact same moment. Right. That was a very uh, profound catalyst moment for me, yes. And it goes back to always be kind to people because you never know at what point they are in their life. Uh, even though they're smiling, they might be having the greatest angst and the greatest anxiety going on behind their, their smile. So uh, I always make it a point to always greet somebody. I always say hi. I always, you know, how are you doing? That's always been a, a quirk of mine mm-hmm. is always wave and always smile. And if they've got a name tag on, I'm going to address them by their name. You know, you know how, how are you doing, Jennifer? You know? <laughs> But it, it breaks the ice and it startles them and it, sometimes it breaks them out of that, that reverie that has been, you know, keeping them downtrodden mm-hmm. and can sometimes bring them out of the misery that they're in just yeah. by a simple hello or a smile. I think that I talk a lot about this exact kind of thing mm-hmm. because I'm, 
I'm an odd duck, mm-hmm. but I'm fine with it. I don't right. really mind. And um, I learned years ago that we all suffer from the human condition, yes. every single one of us. It's the same thing. We're all human beings, and, mm-hmm. and life is hard sometimes for everybody. You feel so isolated and alone, and we're given this picture of perfection from society. Right. Almost literally none of us fit into that image. And so it makes us feel completely isolated. And then we don't want to share because we're ashamed to say that, oh, I'm not this picture of perfection. And that shame keeps a wall. And so just by saying and reaching into somebody's day and saying, hey, Jennifer, you know, hey, Stephen, I see you. How are you? We're the same. So I I really love, I love that sentiment about you and and what you're doing with your poetry. I think it's incredibly important. Um, now, we talked about maybe you might want to read us a poem. I can do that. Uh, let's see. One poem that's uh, personal to me is called Five Senses of a Veteran. And I'm going to rename it someday to be called Five Senses of a First Responder and Veteran. Because it deals with things that a first responder or a veteran have all gone through. Mm-hmm. And we experience things with our five senses that other people have never even contemplated experiencing. As a first responder, as a law enforcement officer, or as an EMT, or as a nurse, or a doctor, you see things that are so traumatic on a day-by-day basis that other people have no concept of seeing. And and yet they go day-to-day back to work Mm -hmm. because of a single goal, and that's to help people. I understand there's a lot going on right now in our world. And there's a lot of uh, unrest going on. And I'm not going to try to go political in, in anything. But I want to read this poem because I want people to understand what veterans law enforcement do go through, if I may. It's called Five Senses of a Veteran. I've seen things no man should see and heard the screams that haunted me. I've tasted death with a kiss of life and touched the pulse of the afterlife. I've smelled the stench of the slipped away and cried when death had claimed its prey. I've served in ways I can't describe in a fear of rambling in a diatribe. I've survived it all and lived to tell what life is like in earthly hell. And though my dreams still show the strain, I'd live it all each day of pain. I'd fight the evil, the sick, depraved, to know just once a life I saved. Wow. And, and so that's, you know, we go through it each day by day because there's one time, and, and that's why I do Poem Speak, because there's that one time someone told me a poem changed their life. Mm-hmm. And if I can do it one more time, it's going to make a difference. And so that's why that poem still strikes a chord with me. It's amazing. Um, a lot of people might not know this about me, but I was married to a, um, a U.S. Marine. Um, I spent a lot of time with him, mm-hmm. and I watched him deploy, and I watched him come home. And um, I had my own trauma from childhood, and, and it's still, I'm the complete human that I am today because of his ability and what he went through and the PTSD he had mm-hmm. and how we were able to relate to each other in a lot of ways. Right. He um, taught me about anxiety yes. and what an anxiety attack is. I didn't know. And so just, again, having the ability to connect with someone who shares the same thing you do. Mm-hmm. And that poem sounded very traumatic, you know, yes. um, intense, especially for somebody like me who doesn't see that stuff every day. Right. So, you know, I, I think it's, again, incredible that you're able to use this as a tool to relate to other people. Thank you. Uh, there was a poem, uh, I, t- I talked about the, the Veterans Creative Arts Festival uh, that was the catalyst for all of this. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic program. And what it does is it allows 
veterans that are disabled to submit works of art, whether it be paintings, whether it be carvings, whether it be poetry, and submit them. And then the winners are all gathered and, and go to a festival. And it was 2014 that I actually won the gold medal for a poem called Justify Me. Give me a crutch, give me a cane. Just give me something to show for the pain. Give me a wound, give me a scar. Just give me something people can see from afar. To show that I'm wounded, to show I'm in pain, to show that I'm not having it all in my brain. My wounds, they run deeply, but no one can see. So please give me something to justify me. Please give me something to justify me. That's very moving. Yeah. And you were talking about uh, seeing the anxiety in people and things like that. A lot of times you can't see the PTSD. You can't see the anxiety. You can't see the angst and the fear and the, the depression that people are going through mm-hmm. until such time as they crack. Mm-hmm. And when they do, it's too late sometimes. Right. Anyone can have PTSD. You know, it, it's not a war-only situation. Right. It's the reaction to trauma. Exactly yeah. that. It, it's a it's a stress reaction. And it, it's how your body compartmentalizes and responds mm-hmm. to traumatic situations. And anything can be traumatic to an individual. Mm-hmm. What's traumatic to me may not be traumatic to you. Right. You know, you see a spider going across the floor, no <laughs> big deal. I see a spider going across the floor, I might freak out. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I, I'd be remiss without mentioning a a nonprofit organization that I was part of in Wyoming called Grace for Two Brothers. Mm-hmm. Grace for Two Brothers Foundation was a, a nonprofit set up because a dispatcher, a young lady, had lost two sons to suicide uh, about uh, six years apart, I think it was, by the same gun, uh, which was her husband's service revolver. Uh, her husband was a, a law enforcement officer, and she was a dispatcher. So she started this suicide prevention through education and awareness program. They've started a suicide attempt survivor support group, which I was a part of. I was a co-facilitator for that. So if you've attempted suicide before, or if you're thinking of suicide, we had an eight-week program that taught you coping skills, taught you self-management, and how to recognize the onset of triggers that would initiate depressive or suicidal thoughts and be able to recognize those and say, okay, I'm going to handle those now before Mm -hmm. it gets too deep. They're active in legislation to change suicide awareness in the state of Wyoming and in the nation. As a matter of fact, they've gone to Washington to help with getting the the new three-digit suicide prevention number. I don't know if you're aware of that. Mm -hmm. There is now a three-digit hotline for suicide prevention, 988. You know, you used to call 911 for help. Yeah. There's now 988. It's been approved for nationwide a suicide hotline. That's incredible that, you know, while you're talking and I'm I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, wow, if it weren't for a nonprofit like that to actually put that information together and give it to those people, would they ever have, would they ever have it? You know, I'm a librarian and we are, in my mind, we're an information resource. Right. But we just kind of have the information here, and people would have to actively take the initiative up on their own to go out and seek information. Mm-hmm. But you're touching on something that I often think about, which is public policy and um, how things change. And without people like that, 
who care, who do that legwork. Right. Those things, that information, those laws, they wouldn't be touched. And it's exactly. just incredible that people like that exist. And there's a program that's been out for several years now, the Catch-22 uh, Veteran Support Program, because there's 22 veterans a day that commit suicide. I don't know if you're aware of that number. No, I haven't heard that. Um, right now, the average number of veterans committing suicide is 22 a day. I mean, there's more That's veterans. an overwhelming number. It's an overwhelming number, it is. You know, these are people that have gone and committed their lives to serving the country, to, to protecting the freedoms that we have. Right. And they come home and they're, they're tossed aside and ignored. Uh, and I, I don't say that in derision to the government at all. Right. You know, but the policies and the procedures that the hoops and the loopholes that they have to go through sometimes just keeps them from getting the services that they need. I think we've watched, kind of seen that happen in society, though. You know, we talk about, we're talking about the mental health of veterans because they're going through this trauma. I mean, it's an intense amount of trauma. But then you look at the wider picture, and I think, and I'm not alone in this, you know, it seems as if mental health is something that we have not addressed and look at the, the outcome of not addressing something so important as mental health. Exactly, exactly. And, and you have to realize that even the mental health professionals crack. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're human. You know, exactly. And it brings me to a, a, another poem that I, I've selected. Um, because as a co-facilitator for the Suicide Attempt Survivor Support Program called Lived Experience, we were having a class one day, and one of our co-facilitators was having a, a rough time. And one of our, our new... Uh, attendees made the comment, you're not supposed to have a bad day. You were one of our facilitators. And her response was, well, even rocks crumble. And I thought, my gosh, that's a poem. Yeah. And so I wrote that and um, it became a, a theme for several of our classes was, you know, no matter what, even rocks crumble. If I can read that one. Yeah, okay. I'd love to hear it. All right. It's called Even Rocks Crumble. Granite hard and stony-faced, I've lived my life as I've been placed. A stoic person, head held high, with marbled glaze and steely eye. Always there to bear the weight of the burdens that have since become my fate. To stand with shoulders squared away, like bedrock firm in a stalwart way. Entrenched so others do not fail. Alongside me their strength prevails. I give them hope, support, and aid, so through life's hardship they can wade. But even now my veneer is cracked, my very core less than intact, from pressures too intense to bear, as I forgot my own self-care. I let self-doubt and worry in, and contemplated the unforgiving sin. My strength for others had taken a tumble, for I learned the hard way, even hard rocks crumble. So learn this lesson as I relate to you, stand strong, be strong, till thine own self be true. Take care of yourself, your mind, your all, and don't be discouraged because sometimes rocks fall. Wow. And, and that's a very important lesson that uh, no matter how much you do and no matter how strong you are, you've got to remember your own self-care. And, and self-care is anything from eating right, exercising, I mean, even, even getting out of bed, taking a shower. And I always do three goals a day, and I don't care what those goals are. The most minor goals can sometimes be the most major goals to somebody with depression. The first one being just get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Even if that's your only goal for the day, get out of bed. All right. Eat something. 
anything. I have, I have a friend of mine who doesn't eat just because so depressed sometimes just doesn't eat. And we have to tell her, you know, it's time to eat something. You've got to eat because depression just kicks in and you just forget to eat. You just don't take care of yourself. It's just cycle. It is. It, it becomes, you dep- you get depressed and so you don't eat and then you go, oh, I'm not eating. So I'm depressed. So if you do three things a day, you know, get out of bed, eat something and do something else, get dressed. It's amazing what a change of clothes can do to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it just makes you feel like a whole new person. But if you set three goals a day, next day, do those three goals and then add another goal. Take a walk, take a shower, um, write a story, write a poem, write a diary entry, something. But just set goals for yourself every day. If you have to write them down the night before, you know, people say that they give up hope, but you know, if you write down your goals the night before, then you're already setting yourself hope because you're, you're giving yourself hope that you're going to wake up the next day. You know, when you set an alarm clock, you've already set hope for the next day mm-hmm. because you've set hope that you're going to turn that alarm clock off in the morning. And people don't realize that the very act of setting an alarm clock is hope. You're not giving up that you're going to give up that morning and not wake up the next day. Yeah. I, you know, I've been up and down on roller coasters and I talked about having PTSD mm-hmm. from traumatic events in my life as well. And um, I learned a really hard lesson one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a communicator. Right. So for me, when I talk about things, it helps me work them out. Yes. So, but I got stuck in this bubble of thinking that my trauma was worse than others. It wasn't an active forefront thought that mine was worse. It was what I had led myself to believe. Mm-hmm. And I was in this moment of this conversation with someone and, you know, he was sharing his traumatic moments and I was, I was sharing mine. And I guess I came across as if mine were worse mm-hmm. in that moment. And we had another friend there too. And, and the person I was speaking to, he got really upset, you know, and I asked my friend later about it and he was like, well, you were kind of coming off that way. And this isn't a really fun or nice or good story in any way because the next week that guy killed himself. And I'm telling you, I was so distraught. The guilt. Yeah. Right. But I, I'll never forget that lesson ever right. to talk to someone and hear them and empathize with them. Listening is, is one of the hardest skills that we have. We, we hear people all day long, mm-hmm. but listening is, the, is one of the hardest skills. And uh, what you're talking about is, is what they call one-upping. Yeah, and we we have a tendency to do that as as human beings. Is we we love to one up our own trauma. I, I say we love to. It's 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 human nature because right. because everything is so affecting us, mm-hmm. and we don't understand the impact that it has on someone else. Right. And and by no means feel guilt toward that. Uh, at that time, he was needing to be listened to, but you also needed to be listened to. Yeah, you just didn't realize the. Uh, profoundness of his, his, his need at that time. The hardest thing that we know about ourselves is that we didn't listen at a, a certain time. Yeah. And I have a friend of mine that's no longer with us who was a victim of severe trauma who the first day she walked into the, the meeting saw me and said, there's a man in this room. Don't let him sit near me. That was her first words to me. And so we respected that, and I sat as far away from her as I could. We listened to her trauma, and we said, okay, we respect that. Within four weeks, halfway through the program, she was sitting next to me 
At the end of the eight weeks, she was hugging me goodbye every every class. She became like a sister to me. Uh, her name was Carrie. But anyway, Carrie uh, decided to move and left our group. And about, I'd say, eight months later, she contacted us by phone. And both persons that she contacted, myself and one other person, were both very busy at the time handling other situations, other crises. And we knew that she was in another facility, another program that was helping suicidal people. And I wouldn't say we blew her off, but we said, you know, can we talk a little bit later? Mm-hmm. The next day I got a phone call and she had driven herself off Casper Mountain and driven into a tree at 60 miles an hour and just blew the, her truck up into a fiery wreck and crashed mm-hmm. off the the bridge. Um, so I understand, you know, exactly how you feel. Um, could I have listened more? Should I have listened more? What could I have done? There's always going to be that guilt there whenever we have a friend of ours that has uh, completed suicide. And I, you know, you always hear the term committed suicide. I, we hate that term. I say we as members of those that work with suicide prevention because the commitment word mm-hmm. indicates a commitment to life you know and there was no commitment to life there yeah. you completed a suicide you know there was there was no commitment there was a give up and and that's what we want to strive to people is don't give up there's always a dawn mm-hmm. that's the beauty of the thousands of thousands of millions of years of this earth there's always a dawn <laughs> That U.S. Marine I told you about that I was married to, mm-hmm. one of the, I, I use a lot of Sean-isms. Right. Sean was his name. Mm-hmm. And sprout where you're planted. You know, that was one. But one of my favorites was, um, it was just a day. It, exactly. It was just a day. Get a new chance tomorrow. And um, sprout where you're planted is, is perfect. Um, that brings up a poem called Blooming. So, if I may. Yeah. Okay. No matter where the wind blows you round, no matter where your feet touch the ground, no matter where you lay your head to close your eyes and rest in bed, no matter where you plant your flags, set down your suitcase and drop your bags, no matter where you feed your face and end your walk or finish your race, no matter where you are, my friend, no matter where your journey's end, no matter where you've gallivanted, stop and bloom where you are planted, spread your roots, grow where you are, no matter what brought you so far, no matter what travels took you to get here, take root, my friend, abandon all fear. And if perchance you must leave again to wander the safety of your newfound glen, then when you rest from the trip you take, bloom again and a new life make. Leave apart wherever you've been, roots and leaves, seeds and kin. Shine, my friend, be well thought of. Bloom where planted and spread your love. Oh, I love it. So. I think that this, your poetry is wonderful because you can go all the way to those depths of despair where we can be, mm-hmm. but then you can turn it around and, and give that advice of how to maybe continue and get out of those depths eventually. I, I try to be inspirational in uh, poems, and I try to always have a twist uh, sometimes at the end. I, I try to end with a positive note, and sometimes I get a little uh, preachy, as my wife puts it. <laughs> But uh, other times it's just creative fun. And, and to give some creative fun here, it's called The Abyss. Beneath the jars of mold and rot, beneath the containers of what looks like snot, beneath the cartons of curdled creams, beneath the stuff of nightmares and dreams, 
Deep in the corner, stashed and buried, down in the depths of spices curried. Forgotten finds that bid revealing, furry mildew that is almost willing to come to life with vim and vigor. For all it needs is sparks to trigger, a new life form that screams for blood with all appearance of fuzzy mud. Where is this place of hidden slimes that should be marked with dates and times, with specimens sealed tight with lids? It's the great abyss we call the fridge. <laughs> but uh, that that does want me to tell to, to go ahead and say to our listeners yes. that um, you have donated the three that you have actively published to yes. the library, and those books are called Reflections of a Beret mm-hmm. and The Afterlife, and then Beyond the Afterlife. So you just published your fourth book? Um, my fourth book, yes, uh, and it will be going live. It's called More Life to Live. The inspiration for that title is a poem called More Life to Live, and it's talking about uh, having suicidal intentions and then deciding that, you know what, there is more life to live. Mm-hmm. And uh, your listeners can't see this, of course, but in every book there is a page after every poem called Thoughts and Reflections mm-hmm. that lets the reader write down his own thoughts mm-hmm. after every poem so that they can maybe write their own poem, maybe write what inspires them about the poem, just take notes, hopefully find some kind of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And some of these poems are just fun poems. Yeah. You know, it's not all deep and heavy and, and serious topics because I want to break it up a little bit. Right. I want to be able to throw some life, love, comedy, romance in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be able to throw some nature in there. I don't want people to be stuck with, you know, just a deep, heavy book and and. And that's not really reflective of how you know our, we are. Some days we're deep and heavy, and some days we have that comedy and that right. romance. Exactly. And, uh, and like I said, I just do this for surviving my own PTSD. I don't do it for money or anything like that. So I'm not making a living at all doing this. You may not be making a living, but you're certainly making an impact. I'm, I'm trying to. That's the whole purpose of Poem Speak is is we want people to be impacted and to be saved. Right. Um, mm-hmm. If we can change one person's idea of suicidal intent, if I can change one person's concept of depression and change them into believing in themselves and turning away from depression and suicidal ideation, then by all means, we've done our job. That's so we said if anybody wants to check out the books, they'll be available at the library. Fantastic. And tell them how else they can see your work okay. one more time. Sure. Um, they can uh, go to www.homespeak.org, P-O-E-M-S-P-E-A-K.org, and send us your name, address, and we will send the books to you for free. You can go to Stephen Bates Musings on Facebook, facebook.com slash Stephen Bates Musings. And all the poems are there for free. They're also available for purchase on Amazon.com. And the first three books are now available on Audible.com. It looks wonderful. It's uh, very exciting. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming and talking to us. So you have a program here this Saturday, which won't be available to listeners by the time they hear this, but they can follow you to see when you do other events, when you do other readings. And I'd like to, if this one goes well, I'd like to um, do a book signing for the new book, and we'll announce that uh, hopefully sometime soon when the new book goes live. Yeah, sounds good to me. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm sure we'll see you in the library again soon. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) You've been listening to Between the Stacks, a podcast produced by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library. 
Join us next time as we meet the people and programs making an impact on the community of Athens in Limestone County, Alabama. To hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the Athens Limestone County Library website at alcpl.org. Library Voices is also now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.